That's the famous Ngāti Parau Haka Te Kiri Nutu being performed at the opening of the Ue Pohatu War Memorial Hall in 1947. In attendance were the Prime Minister of the day, Peter Fraser, the opposition leader, Sidney Holland, the then Governor-General, Sir Bernard Freiburg, and Sir Aparana Nata. Sir Aparana's translation of the haka begins like this. The shadows fall, the shadows fall. The house which makes the laws is chattering, and the Māori will be planted as a rope, its rates and its taxes are biting. Ah, ha, ha. Its teeth cannot be withdrawn. Alas, the land will be destroyed. The laws are spread eagle over it. Ah, ha, ha. The members have done this black deed. And the rulers have conspired in the evil. The laws of the land are confused, for even the tobacco leaf is singled out. Alas, never does the loss of our landed heritage cease to burden our minds. Ah, ha, ha. Ever it is upon our lips clinging, as did the headbands of the warriors, arranged to parry the enemy's blow. Ah, ha, ha. I was scorched in the fire, of the sacrifice of blood, and stripped to the vital heart of the land, bribed with the Pākehā gold. And the rates and the taxes continued to bite, and Pākehā gold continued to be used to snaffle up Māori land from owners unable to meet their rates arrears. The history of New Zealand Aotearoa in the 19th and 20th centuries is to a large extent a history of the alienation of communally owned iwi land, the spiritual and economic lifeblood of Māori communities. Today we're going to hear the story of Mount Huruiki, a mountain just north of Whangarei that was sold into Pākehā ownership in the 1960s. As early as 1865, when the Māori Land Court was set up, 55% of the land in Te Paparahi or Te Raki, or Northland, had been lost to Māori through a combination of confiscations and sales to the Crown. By 1910, another 600,000 acres, or 30% of the whenua, still owned by Māori, had been purchased by the Crown or private parties. And by the dawn of the 21st century, just 10% of Te Paparahi or Te Raki was in Māori hands. The Crown and Northland Iwi are yet to settle their claims, and no doubt some land will be returned when they do, but with claims restricted by law to lands currently in Crown ownership, it will only be a fraction of the land lost. And sadly, all too often, the land with the most spiritual value is not in Crown ownership. That was the case with Mount Huruiki, until one of the descendants of its original owners, Brandon Edwards, managed to buy it back. Ko Huruiki te maunga, ko puhipuhi te whenua, ko whakapara te awa, ko whakapara te marae, ko kahukuri te tangata, mai hokianga, whakatere poketi pūtahi. Paue rua rua peka peka hina hina poke ahu ahu, huruiki, hekurangi maruata pariaka, ko hautako wera tona matua, ko ngati hau te hapu, ko ngapui te iwi. So that's my pepeha, my connection to this whenua, my connection to huruiki, te maunga. Tupuna for our hapu ngati hau is kahukuri, 
Kahukuri originated from Hokianga and then journeyed southward following various maunga of significance, including Huruiki Te Maunga, the mountain we're standing on currently. Do you remember the first time you ever came here? I grew up in Hikurangi and Whakapara, Puhipui, and Huruiki Station encompasses basically the top of Huruiki as well as the plateau and the lower line farmland area. was owned by my grandfather and his father before him and his, his father before him, three generations, in Māori title, so one of a hundred shareholders, but my grandfather shareholding was the largest. In 1961 uh, it was sold into European ownership and was converted from Māori title to general title at that point in time. The European purchases of the property were friends, the family were friends of my grandfather, so even though it passed out of family ownership in 1961, they allowed, given the the long and significant connection the family had with this whenua, allowed family members to regularly make hikoi up to Huruiki. That continued all the way up to when we were growing up, when I was growing up, and so my father used to bring us up here pick hunting and swimming in the river. So those are my sort of first memories of Huruiki. Why did your grandfather have to sell? Yeah, I wasn't around then, so I, I can't say for sure ex- exactly what was the reason for the sale. And he was one of, as I say, a hundred shareholders, um, albeit the most substantial shareholder. I'm aware that at the time the owners were in arrears on their rates. Um, I believe for three years they were in arrears of rates, totaling seventy-six pounds at the time. And I believe, just looking through the information I've uh, had available to me, that there was some form of persuasion, pressure, encouragement, if you like, because of the uh, default or the arrears in rates to look to sell the property. I could only assume also that that's the case because because it was it is the maunga for our, our hapu. That decision to sell would, would not have been made lightly. Was it talked about much when you were a kid? The reasons around the sale and the sale itself weren't talked about so much. But the loss? The fact that uh, the property, the, the funeral, was owned by family for a long time was certainly talk, talked about it and, and known. Also, the significance of Huruiki to our whānau, our hapu, as well as the neighbouring iwi of Ngāti Wai and the related hapus of Ngāti Wai, specifically uh, Te Uri or Hikiki. So you, you grew up next to it, you grew up having access to it, but not having it in ownership. So let's speed through time a bit. Tell me the story of how it came back into your hands. So the Huruiki station was, was sold, as I as mentioned, in 1961 out of family ownership um, into uh, European ownership and, and under general title at that point in time. The family that bought the property back then 
continued to own the, the property up until the early 2000s. The property was then put on the market by that family in the early 2000s. Um, at that point in time, my wife and I were working overseas. Because of the significance and importance of the property to Alfano, I personally had always been keeping a uh, close eye on the property with the pipe dream, I think, back in those times of maybe being, being able to uh, buy the property back. You didn't come from a well-off family, I take it? There's no, no we, uh, we weren't uh, poor, I, I wouldn't have said, but we had a family of six, um, uh, one-income family. My dad worked at the local freezing works. We did okay, but yeah, we, we didn't have a lot of money to spare. C certainly um, buying a property of this size was, as I say, uh, a pipe dream. When, when the property came on the market in the early 2000s, I, I had uh, been to school. Um, I attended St Stephen's School in uh, Bombay Hills. I then went to Auckland University and studied commerce and law and graduated with those degrees and was practicing uh, law in New Zealand and then decided to move overseas. Um, still early in my career so didn't really have a lot of um, I think at that point we'd just managed to uh, pay off student loans and things like that so didn't really have a lot of surplus capital at that point in time but we still rustled together what we had and, and put in a bid for Huruiki, but we're not ultimately not successful at that point in time. So we sort of thought, yeah, maybe it is just a pipe dream. And we remained overseas for a number of years following that. Um, I think it was around 15 years in total we spent overseas. The property was sold by the family in the early 2000s to property developers uh, who had plans to develop the property subdivided into lifestyle blocks and it passed through about a handful of those sorts of uh, owners over the, the next 10 or so years. And then one Christmas holidays, as we often did, we'd come back to New Zealand for Christmas holidays. We had uh, kids uh, by that stage as well and would bring them back on holidays and I was still very keen to buy a farm I've, I always wanted a farm um, had resigned almost to the fact I think following uh, our unsuccessful bid on Huruiki that uh, that wasn't going to happen so we were looking at neighboring farms in the area and we're looking at one particular farm, nearby farm, and we're with the agent walking around the farm. And my brother and I, we we couldn't help ourselves uh, turning our our heads and our eyes up to Huruiki. We didn't know what the current status of ownership of Huruiki was at that time. So we looked up, and I thought, that's it. I'm gonna call the property agent and just see what's going on with Huruiki given we were back in town for a few weeks. So I called the agent and asked them what was happening and he said that uh, funnily enough it was on on the market again and so I immediately uh, arranged a face-to-face -face meeting with the agent and 
long story short, one thing led to the next and we uh, returned overseas where we were living and we put in a formal offer to purchase Hurawiki. And this was in 2011 and we were successful in uh, securing and buying back uh, Hurawiki, my wife and I. So from 1961 to 2011 is exactly 50 years. What was it like coming back that first time? We made the trip back to close the transaction, to close the purchase. Uh, we met with the agent and uh, went through all the formalities. Once that was done and we were sure that nothing could change, all conditions had been satisfied, the agreement was now unconditional. We informed some of our close family. Up until this point we'd kept it, my wife and I, to ourselves. We uh, drove to my uncle's house, uh, who at the time was uh, still living in, in the Puipui area. He was the oldest surviving sibling or child of my grandparents and one of the children who was born and raised on Uruki Temanga. We picked him up as well as uh, other whānau members and we made the hikoi up to Huruiki. Our uncle was able to, even though he was almost blind, point out areas of significance on the property which were previously unknown to ourselves and most of the other whānau members who made the trip up because for a lot of them this was the first time they had been on Huruiki. So our uncle was able to point out, for example, where the old family home of our grandparents was no longer stands um, but he was able to identify where the site house site was he described what kind of house it was um, as a rough sawn Cody shack very basic very humble you're listening to Te Ahi Ka on RNZ I'm Jeremy Rose and I'm speaking to Brandon Edwards on his ancestral mountain Huruiki you mentioned before that you didn't let on that you had any connection with the land when you were buying it. Why, why was that? Partly it's my nature. I like to keep things, business things, commercial things uh, to myself. But partly also because I didn't want our identity or, or my identity and close connection to the property to in any way adversely influence or affect negotiations for the purchase. You think that they may have tried to screw the price up a bit if if they realised? I think had the agent and the vendor known who I was and the strong historical and family connection to the property, they, they may have tried to do that. I don't know, but I wanted to eliminate that from the equation altogether. There was talk, as you said, of subdividing. I mean, it's a spectacular spot we're on. And you can imagine there would would have been a lot of demand for it. What happened? Why Why wasn't it subdivided? I don't know exactly what the reasons for that, other than between the family that purchased it from my grandfather, selling it and us acquiring it, so between the early 2000s and 2011, so a period of 10 or so years, there were, as I said, a handful of property developers in there who had legal ownership of the property. 
The vendors we purchased the property from were farmers, local farmers. I think they may have had uh, plans of realising that development potential. So you went from investment banking in Singapore with your wife and your three kids. How, how was the transition? So my, my background is I'm a lawyer by profession, um, but I've uh, spent most of my uh, professional career as an investment banker working in mainly Asia, Hong Kong uh, for most of the time and then Singapore and then also finally for a little bit in uh, London before returning to New Zealand in 2013. We have three beautiful kids who were all born in Hong Kong. We lived uh, the expat life while in Hong Kong and Singapore and uh, London for that matter which is a lot different to uh, the life of a typical boy or girl growing up in New Zealand, certainly a typical boy or girl growing up in Northland, New Zealand. As a family, we lived a lot of the time in high-rise apartment buildings in those locations. Our children grew, grew up being close to their helpers. Speaking Chinese? Speaking Chinese. They all uh, studied Mandarin at school, as well as whilst we are in Hong Kong, uh, the local street language there is Cantonese. How, how Māori did they feel growing up there? They always knew they were Māori. My wife and I didn't speak Māori to them in the home. That was mainly because we ourselves uh, weren't able to speak a lot of te reo. But we tried to in, instill in them uh, multicultural values where we could. We had kapaka groups in Singapore, for example, and our whole family and children were, were involved in, in that kapaka group. Do you think if the land hadn't come back onto the market and you hadn't bought it, your kids would still be living in Singapore? I, I think Huruiki and the fact that uh, we were able to fight back in 2011 was a big draw for us coming back to New Zealand. I'd go so far as to say, had we not bought Huruiki, we probably would not have returned to New Zealand in 2013. Um, I think we would have returned to New Zealand at some point. And what are the plans now? Now that you have, well, I think, 800 acres, what are you hoping to, to do with it? We bought Huruiki, not necessarily with any commercial intention in mind. It was almost purely purchased for emotional, um, sentimental, cultural, far no significance reasons. After buying the property, reasonably large property, we then had to turn our minds to, well, we've got this big asset, um, how are we going to make it work? So we went through a process of considering different uses and applications of the property. We started an Angus breeding stud, which is called Huruiki Angus. In 2013, we lease out most of the property currently, and we've started our, our breeding herd on an adjoining block where we intend to try out and test a few ideas that we have, determine uh, what we think works and doesn't work for us and the land, and then when we're in a position where we, when we think the time is right, we will uh, roll out that onto the full farm. Our primary motivation 
for the farm for the property is to is to look after the environment we have a a motto for our farm which is te pamungatahi me te taiao and our interpretation of that, our meaning of that is that we will farm our property, our farm, as one with the environment. And what we mean by that, the primary motivation, the primary importance for us is looking after the whenua. Our responsibility as kaitiaki for this whenua. We're, we're in a privileged and a a position of responsibility. Yes, we have bought back this this land, but more important than that is the responsibility that comes with that to to now look after it, and that's environmentally, that's socially, that's culturally. And part of the cult cultural aspect of that is having our lo local marae as well as our neighbouring whanaunga uh, at uh, Ngātiwai and Whangaruru access, access to, to their maunga. So in terms of what we plan to do with the property, we, we plan to farm it and my wife and I are, are dividing the project up. My primary focus will be the cattle and my wife has a number of projects which uh, she will be uh, focusing on, including bees and honey exploring uh, the potential for having beehives and producing honey from the farm. We've started that initiative with a, c a couple of hives at the moment and we'll test the, uh, the productivity and the quality of the honey coming from that and um, determine whether it makes sense to have more hives on the farm. We have taken out a large area roughly 100 acres of pine trees on the farm and we don't intend replanting pine trees on those areas. What we intend to do with those areas is to plant natives and to regenerate natives as much as we can. As you can see it's a pretty spectacular property up here so there are ecotourism type ideas we are exploring as well at the moment. Any plans to bring more of the whānau onto the land, build houses for family? Yep. My immediate family have expressed interest in becoming involved in the project and we would open our door and our arms wide for that to happen. When you think about, you know, you grew up here, how common is the story of, I mean, did you know other people who had culturally significant land in private park our ownership? Because none of that land can go back under the treaty process. You know, under the treaty, we only ever, the Crown only ever gives back publicly owned land. Mm. But is this common? Because, I mean, this is obviously far more significant than most of the land in public ownership. I think it's pretty, pretty common that Māori land has been sold, transferred to uh, non-Māori ownership, and then somewhere along uh, that chain of events been converted from Māori title to general title. Just looking out from where we are sitting at the moment, I know a lot of our whanaunga down at Whangaruru uh, are in that ex exact same position. 
I think it's less, I'm, I'm not actually not aware of too many examples where that circle has been completed, where it has come back into Fano and Māori ownership. Well, you're in a very unusual situation personally, aren't you? I mean, there's not many people who could hope to earn enough in a lifetime of working, say, like your father in the meatworks, to buy back a piece of land like this. I mean, it, it, it was because you worked overseas in finance. Yeah, I think our situation is probably um, quite unique and for whatever reason we've been blessed in our lives with different things. Was it part of the plan? I mean, do you, did you ever think I need to be able to earn enough? I've always I've always been a relatively high achiever, I suppose. I've always been quite driven. I've always been quite academic. And I've always been quite strongly connected to Whakapapa and my whānau and uh, my culture. And so I think the combination of those two passions has resulted in our position today. To what extent has have things changed for the local marae now that it's in your ownership? Yeah, Huruiki is the maunga for a number of marae, not just uh, whakapara marae. Um, my marae is whakapara, so that's obviously of significance and importance to me. But Huruiki is also the maunga for a number of marae in Whangaruru. The hapu there is Te Uri or Hikiheki, and the iwi is Ngati Wai. For whakapara marae, whakapara marae host uh, school holiday programs regularly during the school holidays and children attending the marae programs regularly, if not every holiday program, uh, come up to Huruiki as part of the program, part of the weekly program. And they do different activities and hear different kōrero from leaders and komatuas, so that some of that information which has been lost in previous generations is restored back to the youth and they have the opportunity to hear that kōrero while standing on the whenua. In the most recent holidays, children from the Whakapara Marae came up and they ran from the entrance of the property, which is the river, ran up the maunga. There were about a dozen children of different ages and sizes and running abilities, but they all managed to get to the top. And at the top, we were installing our first two beehives, so they were able to hear about the beehives and our plans for bees on Huruiki. Aside from holiday programs, Fano request to come onto the property to uh, make a trip up to Huruiki for picnics or birthday occasions or other special occasions. Um, and similarly, we have requests from our Fanonga at Fangaruru to also come up and make special trips up to their maunga. Uh, we had a special request from uh, one of the whānau at Whangaruru um, earlier this year to um, identify and select a rock from on Huruiki, uh, a kōhatu, to have positioned and located at one of the local schools, one of the local kura, as a connection between that kura and their maunga. So things like that, and as I say, uh, 
we open our arms to any of our whānau who want to come up here and have access to, to their ranga. Is there anything you can do to ensure that the land is never alienated again? There are uh, steps that can be taken to um, try to achieve that. Um, it can get a little bit complicated and uh, can result ultimately in um, divisions within Fano. My thinking on that subject is for our for our own family. Uh, we, we own uh, the property in our uh, our own family trust, Te Fano or Nehua Trust, and there are legal mechanisms that can be put into place to try to achieve that, but I think ultimately they they all fail if the individuals, the, the, the people, the tangata, lose interest and they don't have the desire in their own hearts to be kaitiaki for the whenua. So my thinking on that subject for our own children is to try and develop in them a strong love and appreciation for Huruaki. Your your dad's passed away, I take it. Yes, yeah. Um, my my father passed away in nineteen ninety eight. So before we headed overseas, and even before we got married, and certainly before we um, purchased Huruaki. So that must be a bit of a sense of sorrow that he never saw it come back into the family. My my dad was one of a younger group of siblings in his family and my grandfather and grandmother had moved on from Huruiki, um by the time he, he was growing up so he personally did not live and grow up on Huruiki, but he he lived and grew up on Pui Pui um, so nearby and Dad brought um, me and, and my brothers and sisters as we were growing up up to Huruiki at different times in different parts of Huruiki. Uh, we would go swimming in the river, we'd go pig hunting in the bush. Dad loved the land generally and our, our family, speaking about my ancestors, my great-grandparents, great-great-parents, grandparents and even all the way down to my grandfather they actually owned large parcels of land in this area um, and a lot of prime property in this area I remember my dad always saying though of all the, the lands of all the property interests that my grandfather had if there was if there was one the one he would most like to have owned himself and lived on and found herself was Huruiki. That was Brandon Edwards talking about Huruiki, a mountain just north of Whangarei that was sold due to rates arrears in the 1960s. Ko Huruiki te maunga, he maunga tūtonu, tū te ao, tū te pō. Ko Ngāti Hauki Uta, ko Ngāti Waiki Tai. Huruiki titiro ki puhi puhi, ko puhi puhi te whenua. Pui pui titiro ki whakapara, ko whakapara te awa, ko whakapara te marae. Ko 
ko kahukuri te tangata iko i te taha o ngā maunga rongonui mai hoki anga whakatere puke te pūtahi pau e rua rua peka peka hina hina puke ahu ahu huruiki hikurangi maruata parihaka ko hautako wera tōna matua ko ngati hau te hapu ko ngapui te iwi ko Brandon Edwards ahau a uh, Tihewa Maudiora.